20 if you want the text. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them at this time and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we have been preaching through verses 1, 2, and now we are in verse 3. The Bible says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Which, the idea is, if you add all the mercies of God up compared to what you've done, oh my... There is no comparison, amen? It's your reasonable service. It weighs out in the end that God is great and we are not. It's the least we can do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Presenting our bodies. The bodies are refers to the whole person. It's, he wants everything. And by the way, He deserves everything. Why? He's paid it with a price. What price? The price of Jesus Christ. He paid that price on the cross so that we can be His children. And we are to present our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our hands, our feet, every aspect, our Christ's. God wants it all. Unfortunately, too many times, we might give God an ear now and then, but that's about it. My friends, you are missing out on what God has planned for your life. When you give Christ everything, the peace and joy that is understood in our heart is beyond the pale it's supernatural amen because it's of god we also understood in those texts in that text that scripture is not just informational although it is it is also transformational god doesn't want us just to have all that information in our head so that we're super smart theologically because what God wants is our will to be desiring Him. How many understand that? God desires that our will desires Him. How is that going to happen? How do, how do we have a will? You know, we, how many of you have a will? Do you have a will? I'm not talking about this piece of paper will. Uh, we're talking about a desire in your heart. You have a desire to do, a will to do. That will is made up of two things. You do what you want to do based on what your knowledge is and what your heart says. They control your will. And as a child of Satan, according to Ephesians chapter 1, we are depraved people and our will is damaged as unsaved people because our heart and our knowledge is all about us. It's selfishness. Look what happened to Eve. What did Eve do? Eve is a perfect example. I want to be like God. The serpent gave her wrong information and her heart desired that selfishness and she sinned and gave to Adam and he sinned. Ever since then, all humanity is absolutely, totally depraved. We are children of Adam we are sons of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, I think. And therefore, our bend is to, weakness, to wickedness. Why, is, why in the world, is, how many believe that this world is wicked? Is this world bad? It's because they don't know Christ. That's the whole issue. All of those world's problems would be solved if they were of and in Christ. It'd be all done. By the way, that's what we just sang about. <laughs> he makes all things new. It will be done. And it says it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many are just pumped about the millennial kingdom? What a day that will be. 
our knowledge and our heart will be at one with Christ. Oh my. Right now, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. And we battle with this flesh because we're still on this earth and the residual effects of our depravity are still with us today. But God wins the battle. Amen? He wins the battle. We also found in this text that all these things present our bodies. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because what God has done. Because who God is. You see, when we know God, when we know who He is and what He's done, we have a tendency to love Him. How could you not? Look at all He Matter of fact, the very definition of love is God. The very definition of peace is God. The very definition of joy is God. And we substitute that with football. With, with a, a, a band. With with entertainment. Folks, nothing can replace God. He is our true joy. He is our true hope. He is everything. And when we know more about Him, and we know Him more, not just about, but know Him more, we love Him. Matter of fact, how many remember the Shema? The Shema, love the Lord your God while well, our heart, soul, and mind, right? The only way that happens is to know who He is. And then you realize how great He is. And when we realize how great He is, we become this little mouse. We realize how little we are. And therefore, to know God is to love Him. And to love Him, we want to please Him. Do we not? We want to please Him in every aspect of our life. How, can, how many of us wake up and say, how can I please God today? Does that happen? Oh, that guy pulled in front of me. Oh, God loves that. Well, you don't understand the circumstances. Well, you know what? All of us have circumstances. All of us do. God's the only answer to all of them. Then we went to chapter or to verse 3, and we started this last week, and we'll continue it this morning. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. I'm so glad that's not an American problem. But to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. So what he's doing now is he's taking, first of all, he talked theology at the beginning. The mercies of God, what is that? Well, you've got to know God to know what the mercies are. Amen? And they are just... It, it, the mercies that you, God that you know are just a drop in the, uh, an ocean that has no banks and no bottom. Amen? The mercies of God are unfathomable. We are just learning bits and pieces as we know who God is through His Word. So he talked about all that and now he brings it now. Listen, guys, because of this, because of who God is, this is what should be, this is what is to be the outcome of that knowledge. Paul lays down the foundational theology and character needed before the exhortation in verse 3 and 4 and following, which he's going to give and we're going to preach on in the next few weeks. Paul's apostleship is a great example. Look, it says, For through grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think of sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a member. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. Last week, we discussed Paul's emphasis on his apostolic authority. How many remember that? We went through many, many passages. Matter of fact, we saw not only 
where God, where, where did Paul get his authority, by the way? Let me ask you that question. God, right? God gave him. He's called. You can go to, to multiple passages of Scripture. At the beginning of each of these books, Paul, what? Called to be an apostle. Not, hey, here I am, self-made man. He never said that. It's always somebody else's reason he did that. By the way, did Paul change the world? Christ, through Paul, changed the world. God used a murdering religious bigot to change the world. He was such a religious bigot, he was killing people who disagreed with him. So Paul, by the way, what does that tell us? God can use anyone. He can even use me. But as we discussed last week, Paul emphasizes his apostolic authority. And he addresses it humbly. He says, for I say how. How does he say it? Through, what does the text say? Grace given to me. See, someone has showed me grace. Who was that? Do you all know the story of Paul? He's doing his religious bigoting <laughs> in the bigot religious town of where? Jerusalem. He is killing Christians because they are not Judaistic enough for him. They do not conform to the Pharisaicalism and the Sadduceicalism of that time. So he's going, he literally has Stephen stoned to death. He's killing him. He then gives up, and, and he's, he's on this warrior, I'm doing this for God, is in his mind. And he's headed off to Damascus, and what does God do? God makes him scared of horses. God knocks him off the horse. How many had a conversion like that? He knocks him off the horse and then brings him to Damascus where Christians are literally waiting for him. Why? Because God ahead of time said, hey guys, I know Paul's coming and you are freaking out, but don't worry about it. He's a changed man. I have saved him. And he comes with open arms and so here's this murderer. I mean, that's what he is. And God's going to use him as the preacher to the Gentiles. Is that grace? That's absolute grace. It's pure grace. And Paul is saying, just like grace has been given to me in that aspect, I know the grace given to me, I say to you, this is a gift that was given to me. It's not of my own fruition. I didn't make this up. This is from God. Many of Paul's letters address this same theme. I have apostolic authority, so listen. And that authority is not conjured up from me or from Paul himself, but it was a gift to him by God for God's great purpose, solidly based and on God's sovereign, perfect will. So, out of that, we understand, so Paul does not rely on his good looks. Matter of fact, I don't think he had them. He was, uh, matter of fact, we know God, Christ didn't. Did he? He was what? He looks comely. Paul does not rely on his good looks. He doesn't rely on his winsome personality. He doesn't, he doesn't rely on his, um, uh, what are those guys that come into businesses to get everybody, uh, hump, uh, uh, what's that? Yeah. Motivational speaker. He, he's not that guy. By the way, be very careful about those guys. When they preach more about how great you are, if they even teach that at all, we got a problem. Because we aren't great. To be honest, that's the whole point of this text. God wants us to be humble. The only way we can be humble is to look at how great God is. That humbles us. 
So Paul doesn't, he doesn't use his good looks. He doesn't use his winsome personality. He doesn't bring out his inner Olsteinish. He doesn't use his money, his fame. He uses nothing. Paul was a murdering religious bigot who, if tradition is correct, was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was given a special, unique gift as all believers are by God to serve the body of Christ. And with abandon, he's doing that. So Paul is not merely passing along good advice or his personal opinions. This is an apostolic, authoritative exhortation given by God Himself through Paul for the church. Second, maybe most important, Paul focuses on the character of the gifted one. Just like our salvation was founded and provided and applied to each and every one of us, so too the spiritual gifts mentioned at the end of this passage are freely given. These gifts are freely and uniquely, absolutely and perfectly given by God Himself. Just as we are saved only by God's grace, so then we can serve Him only by that same grace. As a result, all believers are to be humble. We're to be humble. So the American dream, fame, fortune, right? Why fame? Why is that important? Well, I did this and I did this. You know, by the grace of God, you did that. God allowed you to do that. And when you get a right view of God, that fame is no longer important. All believers are to be humbly. Not because you're cooler than other Christians or cooler than the unsaved. We're to humbly revel in the gift that God sovereignly has given us. Much like Paul. Frankly, Paul's career, his faithfulness in fulfilling his apostolic calling was well known. Paul humbly served God with the gift that God gave him with complete focus and utter abandonment to the things of this world. And that is why God, through the gift given to Paul, changed the world. This world was changed. It was up, end for end, upside down. Because one man said, Lord, I'm here, whatever you want. Use me. Use me. And he did. This is the essence of what is written in our text this morning. Let's look at the text itself and see if we can understand some truths that would apply to us in our relationship with Christ. The Bible, first of all, says, For through the grace given to me, that's Paul's thing, right? I say to you, I say to who, by the way? Everyone who is among you. When the Bible says everyone, what does that mean? It means everyone. It means no one is, there's no exemption. Everyone who has been born again has been given what? According to the text, it's called a measure of faith. I have it in highlights there. Everyone, every believer is given a measure of faith. Therefore, this is absolutely directly applicable to everyone sitting here today that claims the name of Jesus Christ and is truly born again. You truly know the Lord. This exhortation in this text is for you. If you're a child of God, you are guaranteed to be God-gifted. You are God-gifted. <clears throat> now, that giftedness how many have ever how many know that we are gifted by God? And you're a believer and you know that. Raise your hand. Is there four of you? Is there okay, all of you, hopefully? We're all gifted by God. How the, the number one question that is asked 
What is the number one question? Let me ask you. What is the number one question when someone starts preaching on the gifts that God has given us? What is the first and main question always asked? What is my gift? Do you know what? Bill said it very loudly. Do you know what Bill's gift is? It's who Bill is. How many of you are a Bill in here? How many are like, what? No, 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 I want to know, I want to know what gift I am. Am I this? Am I this? I'm in this? Yes. Yes. Oh, whoa, whoa. what does that mean? How many want to know what that means? See, the giftedness is, is like a fingerprint. None are the same. Now, do they consist of skin? Yeah. Do they consist in curves? Yeah, more, some more than others. Do they consist of cells? Yeah, in different placements. They're all consisting of the same thing, but yet they're different giftedness. And your giftedness is unique to you who you are. Amen. And you are unique into how God made you and has now gifted you. Amen. It's your uniqueness. The only way we'll know this is when our mind is being renewed. God's greatness is understood more clearly. Resulting in what? Honest humility. How many understand this? It's not like it's really hard to understand. We talked about, we spent a whole Sunday on renewing our mind. What does that mean? Well, let me ask you, are you renewing your mind when you're preoccupied with the things of this world? Yes or no? No. One thing I'm finding, I, of all the bad things this world gives us, there are some good things. Like headphones. How many know what a headphone is? So I'm in a shop every day, and it's loud. And I got these headphones on. Unfortunately, there's some bad things with it. I can't hear you. <laughs> You're not talking loud enough, as my wife would say to me. And I said, Well, I don't want to yell. Well, you need to because I can't hear you. But the reality is, I have these headphones. Bob came into our shop this week. He came in, he looked at me. That's how you study and learn. <laughs> Why? Because I'm listening to, okay, i got to tell you this. We're going to go through this in a church. How many know who Jay Grudem is? Dr. James J. Grudem. Jay Grudem is probably one of the uh, foremost theological thinkers of our day. One of them. Is he right on everything? No, and I'm not either. Okay, so get that out of the way. But Jay Grudem has just run, re, wrote, written an ethics book. <clears throat> that ethics book is between 12 and 1400 pages long. And he wears bifocals, so everything's like little small words. My wife was like, are we done with that book yet? <laughs> but man, because of the way it's read. So he doesn't read the book, a computer reads the book. So, I don't know, there's this new guy in the Bible called Potapher. <laughs> I never knew of him before. <laughs> I got to read up on him. <laughs> and, and different, and oh, and turn to the book of F. Ephesians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, the point is, man, I'm just soaking it in. I'm listening to this daily. L listen, do you remember the songs of the 70s, some of you? 50, some of you? Do you remember the songs of the 90s? You can still sing some of the words. Why? Because you listened to them, you heard them. You were renewing your mind, but not really renewing it. You were letting your mind become like the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with secular music. I'm not saying there is. But I am saying this. 
The only way you're going to renew your mind is to be saturated in the Word of God. And if you're saturated in the Word of God, you're going to be a humble person. And if you're a humble person, you're exactly where God wants you to be. Because that's exactly where Paul was. Here's the leader of this group of killers. And he gets thrown off on his horse and his life totally turns around because he was what? He was, he was touched by God. His heart was changed. And the whole world changed. So this is the whole, this is the foundation. Unless there is honest humility. Why did I put honest humility? Because all of you have heard this in the schools. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'm going to go eat worms. Oh, poor me. You know what? That's really pride. It really is. There's a false humility. Like the guy who wrote How to Be Humble and How I Attained It. Right? It's this. What? We don't go overboard. This false humility. Because God has created us, amen? Humility is simply, is simply turning their people's focus back on God. Which is the honest thing to do because without God, who are we? Well, according to our scientists, we were this glob floating around in nowhere. Whatever that means. The issue is though, we are nothing without God. We truly are. So it's honest humility that's at stake here. So, the Bible also says, so he gets through this, it's about everybody. We got that. Oh yeah, everyone among you. And what are we to do? Look at this word. How many of, <laughs> my dad does this all the time when I was growing up. He says, think, think, think. How many of you understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's playing on this word think. He says, think, think, think. And what is that? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think to have sound judgment. So this think, think, think. The idea is think honestly. Believers are not to be proud, but to have a sober, sane, sensible, realistic estimate of themselves. Amen? A warning against pride is scarcely surprising since it is native to the human condition. Why in the world did Eve choose to disobey God and Adam choose? By the way, here's the reality. Everybody says, well, it's all Eve's fault. But here's the reality. Eve was coerced. Adam chose. He did. Adam chose. He wasn't coerced. He was chosen. The reality is this. <clears throat> Eve wanted to be like God. There's a difference between wanting to be the greatest of something and wanting to do the best that God has designed me to do. Do you see their difference there? Think honestly. And that's difficult for depraved, unsaved people. There is another option that it could be talking about, because it does talk about pride here. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, back to Romans chapter 11. Because Romans 11... Did God talk about pride in Romans 11? Let's just look at it quickly here. 
Let's just, I'm going to start in verse 11, I think. And I say then, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation comes to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Which is, that is just a fantastic verse, by the way. What is coming is just off the charts awesome. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch as who I am apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move a jealousy, move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Talking about Israel. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from dead from the dead? If the first piece of the dough is holy, the lump is also. If the root is holy, the branches are too. But as some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be what? Verse 18. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Okay, here's the reality. That verse right there blows covenant theology out of the water. Because covenant theology says we are Israel. Israel are us. We are equal, the same. There is no Israel and there is no church. We're just all the same. Because the root is Israel. That's not true. The root is God. The root is God, and we are in Him. And there's no way we can be prideful unless we, are, we see ourselves as a self-made man. We're not. We are absolutely humble because God has given us life and breath. God is the one that holds all things together. At least that's what the Bible says. So the, the warning is addressed to the divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles here in Rome as Paul is talking to them. The Gentiles are warned against pride in, ver, in Romans 11, verse 18. We just read it. Remember when Paul says salvation is given to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous, then exhorts the Gentiles not to be proud about your salvation. It is interesting that all the adverbs connected to the verb think in this text are absolutely linked to each one as God's apportioned a measure of faith. Don't think highly. Don't think more than you ought to think. But think a sound judgment. Why? Because God has allotted a portion, given a measure of faith to each and every one of us. As we talked last week, it is impossible for pride to come in if we have a continuing knowledge of what God has done for us and who He is. There's nothing here apart from Him. He holds everything together and He showers all of our lives with His perfect grace. All that we are, all that we have, all that we will ever be is all in His plan. God is active. Pride is eliminated when one recognizes that the faith one has is a gift of God, not the result of one's own virtue. Amen? The same principle applies in the relationship between believers and unbelievers. Believers are surely tempted to yield to conceit since they exercise faith and unbelievers do not. But this arrogance, this pride is ruled out if it is truly grasped that their faith is simply a gift that God gave us. And without that gift, we are Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 people, which is pretty bad. Not only did God give us saving faith, let me ask you, did God give each and every one of you saving faith? Amen or oh me? That was really exciting. He gave us life. It's, 
I've told you the story before. There's a very famous man that is on the shore lunch box for uh, breading fish. How many know what I'm talking about? And that man went to school with my grandmother. And so I called him up and said, hey, I heard you came to know the Lord and I'd love to have you over and speak at our at a, at a men's retreat or a men's meeting or a game feed so that you can share the gospel with him. I heard that Al Linder talked to you and, and, and gave you the gospel and you, you came to know the Lord and he said, I did that on all myself. That was his words to me. I did that all myself. Hey, thanks for your time. Have a great day. None of us did that on our own. It's not even possible. Why? No one even seeks after God, the Bible says, multiple times. Why? Because our hearts are deep, dark, depraved, evil. Until the Holy Spirit changes things. Amen? And if we lose track of that, I think we have a problem with our salvation, to be honest with you. If you think you accomplished something to get it, you've got a problem. Because it's only by the grace of God, by the faith that He has given you to be saved. It's all of God. And when we look at it that way, let me ask you, let me ask you this. When we look at it that way, how can we not but want to please Him? Look what you've done! How can we not? Oh my goodness! Alright, let's keep going. Not only did God give us the saving faith, He also gave, which He did, amen, He also gave believers different gifts. We can find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to go through them this morning because we're just setting it up. Next week, Lord willing, we'll give you the list of the giftedness, the gifts that God gives. And that list, by the way, is just the foundational gifts. All of us have proportional gifts gifts of maybe all of them heavy in one low in another how many understand that and and we'll talk about all of that next week lord willing but we got to set it up right first because if we don't we're like hey i need to get that gift oh you've just you corinthian you right that's exactly the wrong way they went and we want to keep us from doing that not only did God give us saving faith, He also gave believers the faith of these gifts. And there is the recognition that God grants believers different manifestations of these gifts. The humility is found in the truth that gifted, giftedness, and I wrote this out because it's hard to say, the humility is found in the truth that giftedness dispersion is 100% up to God. Giftedness dispersion is 100% up to God. We have nothing to do with it. Nor did we do something to get it. Remember, all the active verbs attributed to God, all the passive verbs, we just dealt with this last week, all the active verbs, it's God's doing. All the passive verbs, it's us receiving. Amen? We went through the whole book of Romans and many other passages that prove that over and over. God gifts and disperses those gifts as He wants according to His pleasure and His will alone. Alone. As we stated earlier, Paul exhorts us to think, think, think. What does that mean? Well, the antithesis of pride is what? Meekness. I didn't say weakness. It's meekness. Meekness is understanding where we're at. Understanding who the boss is. Understanding why I can do and enjoy doing something that pleases Him. Maybe that's an inkling, eh? Paul uses the term to think four times in verse 3. 
Christian must not overestimate himself. Too many times Christians are evil can evil. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can, I can, I can. I didn't. Whoops. Listen, none of us are evil can evils. None of us are the little train that could. Is that the name of the word? The little engine that could. All of us, how many grew up that way with the little engine that could? All right. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Where's God in that? They lied to you. They did. Just because I think I can doesn't make it possible. Matter of fact, the Bible says, with God. And then he has a whole book called Ecclesiastes that says without God, everything, including wisdom, is what? It's vain. It's worthless. It's worthless. The little engine needs a theological correction. Unfortunately, so do many Christians. Why is there such a thing as pastoral or elder or deacon burnout? This is God's plan. This is God's work. We are just serving Him. As the Old Testament says, we are abiding Him. A-B-A-D. We're serving Him. A Christian must not overestimate himself. A Christian must not think more highly. How many want to know that Greek word, highly? It's pretty funny, actually. The Greek word is hooperphronio. I love it because it sounds to me hyperphony. How many believers, or at least those that claim to be believers, are hyperphonies? I was listening to John MacArthur's message this week on this very text. He had an elder come to him and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. My wife's leaving me. I've been a phony all my life. This is an elder in Grace Community Church. I've been a phony all my life. My wife and I have been drifting apart and now I'm trying to get my wife back so I asked her if we could sit down and read the Bible together and she looked at me and laughed and said, that's another one of your schemes to get what you want. I don't know what to do. It's easy to be a phony Christian I've heard multiple times many different places of work. I heard one story where a man came into the church or a man came to a pastor, I don't remember, and they looked at each other and he said, you go to a church? Why would he say that? Because the life that he leads outside the church is not at all Christ-like. He was just blown away. Trisha's father, I remember, I used to work, when I was first here, I used to work with Trisha's dad um, because it was a job that I could do. Probably not well, but I did it. We started the church, amen? (laughs) But I remember Steve walking into Viking Electric. He said, Tim, watch this. This is going to be funny. So, okay. We get up to the counter and we stand to a guy that calls himself a Christian. And Steve just says something and that guy goes off. He, I've never in my life heard a guy that could say more, more cuss words without putting another word involved somewhere. It just was this whole, sh- this whole rant. 
And then Steve nudged me and said, watch this. Hey, and I don't remember his name, nor would I give you this name. He said, this is a friend of mine. This is Pastor Graf. And the guy just turned beet red and hung his head and just sweat. He was like sweating almost. Why? He was convicted. Why? He knows what's right and what's wrong. Now, listen. A pastor is just a normal guy. There is nothing up here about a pastor. He is simply gifted in a specific, strongly in a specific area that God has called him to be a pastor. Amen? And by the way, that ministry is preaching, ex, 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 preaching the Word. That's, that is what it is. It's preaching of the text. Folks, a pastor, if he can't feed, he can't pastor. That is, the, that is the heaviness gift. And by the way, if you can't preach, you need to ask them, do something different. Whatever that might be. Every pastor is designed and gifted to preach the Word. Now, the only reason he was embarrassed is because he knows what's right and wrong, and a pastor, oh dear man, I just blew my cover. What, what kind of person is that? In today's society, in Americanism, and American evangelicalism today, it's probably normal. And that's horrible. And the question then is, how many people are truly born again? I don't know that. God does, and He will judge that. But I will treat them like an unsaved person and give them the gospel. Why is Paul so consumed with making sure Christians are not prideful, but meek. Because Christians consistently overvalue their abilities, their gifts, and their worth, and never make an accurate assessment of themselves. Does that make sense? Everybody wants to be the new Joel Steen with a million people in a huge stadium. At least many pastors do. And so what has happened? What has happened? I watched a young lady that roomed with my wife when we were counselors at Northland. And she comes out <laughs> and she wants to preach the word, right? By the way, one of the requirements to preach the word as a pastor is they are a one woman man. The Bible never says anything about a one man woman. That doesn't make a lady less spiritual or less godly. Matter of fact, I would say in many ways it's the opposite. But it's the giftedness and calling. It's not about equal we are equal in God's eyes. We have been given different responsibilities. Anyways, <clears throat> she came out, she had her blue jeans, super tight blue jeans, and of course, you know, it had to be ripped four times, right? And, and then we had to do this and had to do this, and all for the glory of the Lord. What are we doing? Are we mimicking Christ? Let me ask you that first thing. Are we mimicking Christ? How many recall that's the type of thing Christ did everywhere? No, we're mimicking other people that we want to be like. That's pride. And that doesn't have a very good look at Christ. Jonathan Edwards, how many remember him? Some people say, Pastor, you are so like animated and so like passionate about the text. I am. I'm not trying to mimic anybody else, believe me. Because I don't know anybody else 
that would do weird things like that. It's just, I love the text. But here's the deal. Jonathan Edwards, he wanted to make sure that it wasn't anything to do with him that would manipulate people down the aisle. I'm going to understand that. That he would literally, purposely, get in front of people and monotonally, if that's a word, read his sermon. It wasn't about the bright lights and the, all this and that. It wasn't about any of that. It was about the text of the Word. Literally, it's written in history that their people were crying, wailing, and screaming because of the words that were said. Boy, have we come a long way. In order to make people get excited about the text, we need to have the next rock band up here. Uh, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was reading some, I, I won't be going there anymore, but reading a text, I was invited to this pastor's fellowship group. And this pastor wrote up, he said, hey, check this out. And here it is, it's the most popular rap song in all of secular music, but they put Christian words to it. Why? Why are we doing that? By the way, they were doing the same dances and choreography that the other guys were. Which, it, 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 that's irrelevant. I don't want to get your mind in there. If anyone's the Bible says, here's what the Bible says about this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, <laughs> he deceives himself. How many hate it when people lie to you? How much worse is it when you lie to you? Do you get the same anger? For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Next text is 1 Timothy. I don't have the, I'll, I'll get you the address at the end of it, but it's very long and I didn't want you to, to have this, all these words that you can't even read. But the Bible says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Huh. Who's talking here? Paul. Paul's saying, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me. Not, I blame him because I've been shipwrecked, I've been left for dead, I've been stoned, I've been laughed at, I've been ridiculed. My whole sonority, whatever that word, what is that word? My whole college sorority hates me because I was in the Pharisee school of higher education and they all hate me. I blame God for that. I'm a better man than that. Is that what Paul did? He said, no, I thank Christ who has strengthened me. I know this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do everything I can to do that. And God strengthens me to keep going. Amen. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. Yeah, you were all those plus some. And so were we. If you don't like these words attributed to yourself, I challenge you, read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and Paul very clearly says, this is what you were like, this is what I was like, and it ain't very pretty. But then verse 4 says, he goes through all... You know what? We got 15 minutes. Do you mind? I don't care if you mind. Here we go. Romans or Ephesians chapter 2. Acts. <clears throat> this is awesome. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is so good. This is so good. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So in other words, you know the, the movies, the zombies and all that jazz? That, that's reality. We were dead men walking, dead women walking. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, verse 2 through 3, according to the course of this world. We walked just like the world. We looked just like the world. We talked just like the world. 
according to the prince and power of the air, just like Satan. Satan applauded our walk and talk in life of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Evil. Among them, we too had our formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. Don't be prideful for where you are, because I'm the one, God's the one that brought you here. He brought you out of this muck. And look what he says in verse 4. But God, who rich in mercy. Why did he need mercy? Because of who we are. He mercifully and graciously saved us. Changed our lives. Took us out of the miry pit. The nastiness of this world. Why did he do that? Because of his great love in which He loved us. Christ loved you so much that He died on the cross for the very people who spat in His face. Yet I show you mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He didn't know Jesus. And the grace of our Lord was much more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. When's the last time we believed that of ourselves? Paul, probably the greatest apostle by the gift of God, calls himself the worst sinner of all of them. That's pretty powerful, is it not? Yet for this season I find mercy, this reason I find mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patient as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a, oh, that's fantastic, by the way. Just rolls off these praises to his great God, our great God. Then the last one. Oh, there's a couple more. First Peter 5, 5. The Bible says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Now, this one will make more sense as we understand our giftedness. One of the things is, don't be standing up. How many of you have stood up in a service and corrected the pastor before? Anybody done that? I've seen that happen and the person standing up was absolutely dead wrong theologically. You know what? Not all of us are preachers. Not all of us are teachers. There are very few, matter of fact. But God has gifted them. But all of us are serving God in some facet. In other words, don't use humility when other people are using their gifts. Amen? A pastor might be the guy cleaning the toilet too. Amen? He might be the guy shoveling the sidewalk. I don't know. It could be many things, but the point is, God's gifted not just you. He's gifted all the brothers and sisters in the faith. And we are to learn and grow with them and through them. I've been told many times by people that aren't preachers or teachers or theologians things that made me think and change my mind. Amen. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Listen to people. Don't think you have all the answers. I, I remember one guy writing to some of you in this church. They want, he wanted to fire me, get rid of me. Why? 
Here's why. Because Tim is a uh, cheap gracer. Are you kidding me? Why is it? It's pride is what it is. It's pride. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly. This is a huge verse, especially with the being on the back end of COVID. This is a big deal. This is a huge verse. I can't, I can't express how much of a verse this is. We have been gifted. Is it clear in the text that we have all been gifted, every one of us? To use our gifts, how? To serve one another. That's why we come together. Those that are prideful, no, 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 we'll just stay away and not come together and use the gifts. Folks, let me ask you this. If God has given us gifts to use and we don't use them, is it sin? Well, duh, absolutely. Yes, it is. So one of the ethics things that John Grubin is now, you're not going to believe this, it's now virtual church. Virtual church is the big thing now. Nobody ever gets together anymore in this virtual church idea. You, the, the idea is a sermon is church. That's not church. It's a part of it. It's serving one another. I am serving you. Right now, I'm feeding you steak, I pray. But I'm serving you. And you will be serving others. How can you do that if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together? It's not possible. It is impossible. And so, I mean, there's literally... I mean, virtual preachers, virtual this, virtual that, and it's all sitting at home in your probably underwear listening. You know what I mean? It's any way to make God and His Word less pervasive in my life is the idea is better. Where have we gone? Where are we going? The ending is not cool. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't even have to preach on that. You know exactly what that's talking about. Your mind is going, yes, come Lord Jesus, amen? Well, here's the deal. Let's not, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And I think the early church was very much so focused, come Lord Jesus. But as they're saying that, they are giving the gospel to the world. That's why we're here. It's the only reason. Because if we were all in heaven, we would always, always not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Don't have a choice. There's like big walls there and, 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 and pearl gates and all that. So we're going to be together, whether we like it or not, we will love it. And we will serve God together. But the one thing we will never be able to do again is tell everybody else what Jesus Christ has done for your salvation. Because everybody up there knows that. It's the ones down here that don't. And you are the people to give the gospel out. All of us are. How are we doing with that? Are we like the guy standing in front of Viking Electric? Just a Christian on Sunday? Or does Christ's life impact every aspect of our lives? I pray that it's the later. Next week, we're going to preach on this and we're going to finish here. This is about, we're going to go into the exhortation on God's gifts. That's what we're going to. And I told you, the way we get there is to be humble, right? We got that, I hope. God's gifts given to the church for the church. We're to serve each other. That is the whole point of what's going to happen next in Romans chapter 12, verses 3, 4, all the way down to verse 8. How are we using the gifts God has given me? We'll be discussing this for the next few weeks.
Mr. Gaiman, can you come and close as come and pray before as we close? Please stand after I pray. We'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray that we would not be people who just sit and listen to your word and then we go about our lives without any change. But we know that your word is powerful. I pray that it would change each of us, that we would be more like Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.